nobody isolate this footage, please. Is that I kind of feel like I need to defend Hitler against Max Dillon. <laughs> oh, I am so, so gonna isolate this and put this out somewhere. I kind of feel like that comparison is insulting to Hitler on a supervillain level. <laughs> Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams Assemble. Gwen fucking dies? Seriously? After all that, she fucking dies? And that, everyone, is the text message that was waiting for me at 5.07 yesterday morning. As expected. Bloody hell. Yep. Yep. That is just one of many reasons that this movie, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 that we're covering today, Belongs in sequel jail with uh, several diehards, all the Jaws sequels, a whole bunch of horror movies, and of course, Thor the Dark World. <laughs> you do not kill the best part of the movie. What are you talking about? Rhino's still alive. Rhino can take his horn and shove it up his ass. <laughs> My god, after... All the rabies and this, I am so burnt out on villain team-ups. You know what, people? Producers, directors out there, sometimes one is just fine. Write it well, and it'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, we have multiple origin stories for villains over here, and one of them looks like a bioluminescent fish. (laughs) And overall... The first 20 minutes of this movie are just a rehash of the first movie. Yeah, with a little more extra added to it. You can easily, easily cut out 30 minutes of runtime from this movie. Yeah, it is too long and it is boring as fuck. And you know what? By this point, in the last like eight weeks, I have seen Ben Parker die approximately 57 times. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't care about that. So guess what? I don't care about seeing any other Parkers dying either. I'm pretty done with the Parkers. All right, Richard and Mary, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, so we have this whole sequence of them in the plane. And he's trying to send, like, the world's shortest video <laughs> on the slowest internet possible. <laughs> I literally have a line in my notes for later on that says, Just A, period. Let Amy rest. (laughs) And it's about this. Yeah, I mean, look, you're on a private plane. There is nobody else using the internet. It does not take that long to send one video. And what was so fucking important about that video in the first place? Yeah, yeah, I've got some more things to say about that video when we get to it. But as far as Richard Parker goes, the whole foundation of this movie, this whole Oscorp storyline, it's number one, not necessary. And two, 
is full of more holes than my husband's sweatpants that I found and uh, threw away last week after approximately 12 years. <laughs> Look, if you want to do a spy thriller kind of thing, do it. Don't, you know, half-ass it with some kind of spy subterfuge, all that kind of nonsense, and then trying to make a superhero movie on top of that. I am so glad right now that I'm not the only one who pulled the word subterfuge out of my ass this week. Thank you. That makes me okay. happy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is that being too pretentious? But it's not. Just overall, there's too many threads and lines running through this movie. And none yeah. of them are tied together. They try to tie it together, but it's about as strong as Spidey's webs holding the electricity together. Or, or just in general, because apparently you can just cut through it with a knife. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what really kills me is that, you know, we talk about this scene at the beginning with, with Richard and Mary. We didn't need this. What we actually needed in terms of flashbacks was to see young Peter and young Harry actually being friends. Yeah, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, because then we'd have some foundation for this relationship so it could have any kind of emotional resonance whatsoever. Yeah, if my friend shows up after 10 years, immediately after I've inherited like a billion dollars, I will not give them the time of day. Yeah, and I hadn't even thought of that. You're right. And I will say, Garfield and Dahan actually, I think, have pretty good chemistry together. But the script doesn't support this relationship at all. Like when Harry confronts Spider-Man later in the movie, it's supposed to be this tense, emotional showdown. And all I can think of, man, that pizza on the table looks good. Get me some of that. <laughs> I noticed that too. And I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to have pizza this week. I'm almost there. I've got, uh, I've got three weeks left on my, my candida cleanse. And then I will treat myself <laughs> to a mm, delicious cauliflower crust pizza. Yay. Okay, I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> You're never hungry after seeing my food. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, you do eat cement. Hey, I haven't eaten that in like two years. In my defense. Let me put it this way. The first time I saw her eating, she was eating that goop that looked like cement. And I've been traumatized ever since. At least it didn't come from Gwyneth Paltrow. That's true. If you would have told me you're eating some goop from goop, we wouldn't be friends anymore. <laughs> so within this script, we have a whole lot of nonsensical choices made by these writers. So let's go through a few of these, shall we? I just want to put out a blanket statement that it's not a whole lot of nonsensical choices. The script is nonsense. There you go. That's fair. So to start off here, we have Aunt May telling Peter that these government agents, okay, FBI, by their alleged badges here, showed up and said that Richard ran off with research and planned to sell it. And all I could ask myself was, how is this a thing? Yeah, it kind of goes nowhere. You don't even know whether they are actually FBI agents. And what is the point of telling 
a dead guy's brother that he was probably a traitor. Exactly. Thank you for finding the words that I could not. And I did find myself also asking, are they really FBI agents? Because this movie bends over backwards to tell us how stupid May Parker is. So I imagine if they had been phony FBI agents, she'd have bought it. Probably, yes. Now, here's a question that I don't mm-hmm. expect to get an answer to. Why, for fuck's sake, is there a tank of electric eels at Oscorp? I tried to make sense of it. I genuinely <laughs> did. I mean, here's the thing. I don't have a problem with the villain transformation for Electro. That's probably the only thing about Electro I don't have a problem with. It's very comic booky. <laughs> it's fine. If you think about Batman Returns, it's really no different from the way Selena Kyle becomes Catwoman. When she falls mm-hmm. and dies and the cats like, you know, come and eat her. I am not comparing the two characters nor the performances of the actors in their parts by any stretch of the imagination. Right. It's the concept of how they were created. Right. But what the hell is this tank doing here? Why do we have an aquarium at Oscorp? It's clearly not a secret. No. So this is the best thing that I could come up with. When they're saying hydroelectric, they're probably testing how electricity is conducted in the water and something like that. That's the best I could come up with. Okay. If anyone out there listening is a marine biologist, we would love to hear from you on this. Yes. And if someone is an electrical engineer, we would like to hear from you about that as well, because I have things to say (laughs) coming forward. Yes. The science does not add up (laughs) at all. Oh, boy. She's just getting warmed up here, guys. Yeah. You know. Usually, you're the one who gets really riled up, especially with terrible movies. This is a bit of a role reversal. I am fucking pissed. Oh, I'm pissed too, but about a very different thing. We might find some common ground. Who knows? Oh, we shall. We shall indeed. (laughs) So, uh, speaking of subterfuge, one of the parts that really had me tearing my hair out was Gwen getting caught by the nefarious baddies of Oscorp trying to look up Max Dillon in the staff directory. Okay, so hold on here, movie. You want us to believe that not a single person in the entire company would have remembered this guy? Come on, no one is that invisible. Well, that's what they're telling us. It is ridiculous. It is. These are high-level professional bad guys. They are not going to be cowed or panicked by some 18-year-old kid doing a directory search. And I don't know, maybe if you want to keep the Dylan stuff under wraps, why would you attempt to make a scene about this in public? Exactly. They could just tell her he left. Or here's an idea. If you're super paranoid and you have no conscience, you've got tons of cameras in this place. Just keep an eye on her till she leaves, then grab her. You either put the fear of God into her, pay her off, or if you're really stupid, then you kill her. And (laughs) what's more ridiculous is that the movie also tells us 
whole Gwen has to do is get out of the building and she is safe because apparently right. there is some some force field that will keep her invisible from the bad guys out in the world. It's like playing a sport. If you go out of the line, it doesn't count. Those of us, uh, myself included, who are a little more sports-minded might put that a little differently, but I get your point. <laughs> I mean, for the way they set this up and frame it, Gwen should go into hiding after this. But she just lives her life and the whole issue never comes up again. Yeah, because the baddies have bigger stuff to deal with, like their boss. Yeah, like Harry, who has figured out that Spider-Man got bit by one of his father's genetically altered spiders. Huh. Mm -hmm. Funny, you'd think someone else, like, I don't know, the hundreds of scientists who work at Oscorp, might have also figured this out by now and tried to hunt down Spider-Man. Yeah, but, you know, priorities. You gotta find the teenager who's doing a random search. Yes, and, you know, I particularly love the way we are just ignoring the fact that thousands of people would be dead after Max Dillon's attack and midtown. Okay, yeah, so about that. If you have a guy who is made of electricity and he's doing his thing in the middle of Times Square, the first thing the police will do will be to evacuate all the pedestrians, all the people around. Not have people chanting for Spider-Man. Yeah, this isn't a boxing match. Exactly. And the same thing goes for the end fight with Rhino. He's throwing, he's shooting missiles, for God's sake. Don't even get me started. I can't even think about that yet. <laughs> but I disagree with you. People are taking it as a big deal. That's why he went into that asylum for the criminally insane. What I mean is like, Peter's kind of ignoring it. Like he's being very flippant about it. We never see any repercussions, any fallout from it. It's never mentioned between Peter and Gwen. It's like it never happened. Yeah, but Peter has been very flippant about all the stuff. I mean, the opening sequence with plutonium supposedly in that truck. First uh -huh. off, if the mm -hmm. plutonium would be shaking around that much, New York wouldn't exist. Correct. Secondly, he was extremely flippant about that as well. Yep. So it's in character for the movie, as stupid as it is. And secondly, if you want to diffuse electricity, you do not hose that down. You're going to no. conduct more electricity. Yeah, you know what you do? You shut down the power. Exactly. Now, moving on to Mr. Osborne again here. When Harry gets lured into this setup... And this guy who hates him for some inexplicable personal reasons that I can't quite wrap my head around, security just lets him walk right out of the building on his own. Nope. I guess they were just trying to give him that dignity to leave. Dignity my ass. This guy hates him at a visceral level. And he knows all these secrets. He's still a potentially dangerous person to you. You take his ass out all the way and you make sure he gets arrested or completely ruined. You take him down all the way. You don't leave him free to run around and cause mayhem in the building. 
It's the same logic. If it's out of the line, it doesn't count. <laughs> like, uh, like Richard Parker's secret lab in the Roosevelt Tunnel. Uh huh. Here we I'm go. I'm gonna get to that. Mm-hmm. Here she goes. <laughs> okay, you want to have a secret lair? Great. How does a kid not realize that a calculator is unusually heavy? Yeah, there were an awful lot of tokens in there. Yeah. Yeah, especially when this kid is as smart as Peter Parker. But then again, this is also uh, a native New Yorker grew up in the city who needs to Google what is Roosevelt. So I don't know anymore. (laughs) And it took, what, 12, 15 years for that file to get downloaded? About that, yeah. And it's good that, you know, the electricity was on at least in this lab for all this time, making sure everything was just the way it should be. Uh-huh. And what is the point of sending the file to your secret lair when nobody's going to access it? Uh-huh. Yeah. You're sending out a videos trying to defend yourself and you're sending it to yourself. Oh, I'll do you one better here. So... If this is where Richard Parker was working, because we hear May say that he, he got on the subway every morning at 7 a.m. and came home at 6 p.m. every day. This is where he worked. If that is the case, Oscorp has to know about it. Right. How could they have not found it till now? Exactly. So that's the last place you would want to send this video to, especially when the video is telling the world Oh, by the way, I used my own DNA, so you'll need my bloodline to replicate it. So, right. Yeah, go after that kid I conveniently left in New York for you. Right. Yeah. Quite a risk to take there. To, to One, to use your own DNA and send this video. Your kid and your brother, you're just leaving hanging out there. Mm-hmm. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, everyone. We haven't really even dug into everything yet. But we're gonna. (laughs) I will say, now we're being very hard on this movie because it deserves it. But the one thing we really have to applaud is the visual effects. That's fantastic. I loved the Spidey swinging and all the special effects for, for the entire movie. All the action sequences are fantastic. I did find myself saying, all right, guys, you're showing off now. But I hope you know it doesn't make up for the atrocity this movie is. Yeah, I think they spent too much time concentrating on the CGI and the script was an afterthought. Yeah, and you and I, this time around, we are on uh, opposite sides here with the score. Yeah, I like the score. I did not care for this score at all. I found some of the song and general musical choices bizarre at times. I think they went with high energy with the music and i think the beats probably would have would have troubled you i'm sure yes yes they did yeah but i i liked it i think it gave some life to the movie well when the itsy bitsy spider started playing i picked up (laughs) one of my dog's nylabones and threw it across the fucking room so you know i was actually thinking about that turns out max dylan is also a musician and this is a lesson we have learned 
in real life. And now you should never let an artist or a creative person not do that because they tend to become supervillains. Where are you getting this from? Hitler. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Hitler was an artist. I know he was. He got rejected. I'm aware. And Max has been rejected for all his work. And then he's become a supervillain. Okay, wait. Wait. I gotta parse this for a second. <laughs> what I meant was, where are you getting this about Max Dillon? Because he's throwing Spider-Man and hitting musical notes. That's some serious talent. Oh, I understand. Okay, I thought you saw like a clarinet or something in his creepy bedroom. No, 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 no. Okay. The second part to this. <laughs> Nobody isolate this footage, please. Is that I kind of feel like I need to defend Hitler against Max Dillon. <laughs> oh, I am so, so going to isolate this and put this out somewhere. I kind of feel like that comparison is insulting to Hitler on a supervillain level. <laughs> I'd say it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got a lot to say about Mr. Dillon, but, but before we get to him, we need to have a thorough discussion about the casting of this movie. Mm -hmm. So in doing this podcast, I have amassed a mental list of people that I will have a serious chat with if I ever meet them. Paul Giamatti is now at the top of that list. Yeah, I recognized him, and I had no idea what he was doing there. I wonder if he did. I don't know. I mean, since when does he play a Russian? You don't cast a meatball to play a pierogi, people. <laughs> That's just a fact. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And what kills me is I love Paul Giamatti. I think he's a fantastic mm -hmm. actor. If you haven't yep. seen his uh, John Adams series, go watch it. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But this is the worst thing I've ever seen him do. And I saw him be a little blue man in Big Fat Liar opposite Frankie fucking Muniz. I just have no idea what he was thinking. Maybe he was told a lie or he was really desperate for the money. I can't see that. I can't see any financial desperation there. I'm wondering if he was promised a bigger meteor role and, and thought it would be cool to play a supervillain in a superhero movie because look at him. He's Paul Giamatti. When's that ever going to happen? You know, because it shouldn't. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, they did try to set up for Amazing Spider-Man 3, but it didn't happen. Thank the Lord. Yes. All right. So moving on to Mr. Jamie Foxx. Has anyone ever been more wrong for a role ever? That's a tough question because within the movie itself, we have a few contenders. <laughs> At least for the size and scope of, of the role. He, he's absolutely number one. Mm -hmm. So Max Dillon is obviously this creepy, weirdo, like uber nerd. You need somebody with a weird face for this part. 
Yeah, the best they could do was give him a gap tooth. Yeah. And the, the comb over. You cannot cast the classically handsome Jamie Foxx for this role. Mm-hmm. You know who I think would have been perfect for it in a good movie? Who? Paul Dano. Yeah, I can see that. He would play a good nerd. Absolutely. And I will say that getting an actor to play against type can be an absolute great thing, not only for them in exploring their range, but for the movie itself. I think the best example of this in uh, the Marvel Universe is Owen Wilson as Agent Mobius. Fantastic. And not at all Mm -hmm. what we've ever seen him do before. Yeah, you're right. And clearly he had it in him to do it. Jamie Foxx didn't. No, he did not. Sometimes actors have a type for a reason. Yep. Jamie Foxx is adept at playing smooth or playing funny, but he can't do crazy. Even if while they were shooting, they realized that he can't do, you know, nerdy and creepy. They could have switched it around and made him more funny. Yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's how he got his start. He's a comedian at heart. Really? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. The Jamie Foxx show. Oh. It is just painful to watch him at points in this movie. Yeah, it is. I was cringing when he was talking to himself. Mm -hmm. Oh, and his blueprints, his blueprints. God, the blueprints. Look, okay, if you are so (laughs) organized and you have so many blueprints, you have these things called canvas holders. You put them in that. You do not take blueprints around and roll them all together. And expect people to care about them. Yeah. Especially on the streets of New York. Anywhere. Nobody walks around with, you know, rolls of blueprints. It is inconvenient. You put it in something all together. Yeah, he's just a cartoon in every way. Yeah, and let's face it. Once it's been webbed together, they're useless anyways. That's true. So let's move on here to Dane DeHaan, who I've never seen in anything else. Yeah, I've seen him on In Treatment, and he was really good there. But I have a question. Yeah. Through this movie, does he not seem like he's about to start crying any second? Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about his performance. It's weird. But I don't know if it works because the movie is a mess. Yeah. And I do think he looks like Brad Pitt's creepy little brother. You know what? You're right. (laughs) I didn't think of that. I saw a lot of potential with him. I mean, it's clear he's trying to give his best. Yes. But his best is not good enough because what's on paper is terrible. Yeah, and I don't think he had much direction with it either. Right. Which is probably why he was, you know, almost in tears every second he was on screen. You know, though, what I think the best piece of casting in this movie is? What? Max Dillon's boss at Oscorp, PJ Novak, fuck your face, man. I hate him. (laughs) Every time I see him (laughs) from the office, I hate him. And of course, that's what they wanted. So they cast the perfect person. He's probably a lovely human being. Man, I can't stand him. And it's all Ryan's fault. Yeah, I mean, he's a good looking guy. Really? I thought so. Not in the movie, generally speaking. All right, you're flying solo on that one. 
<laughs> and the last person I want to mention here, where the hell did they find this guy who's playing the doctor at Ravenscroft? Okay, so about this, something about him didn't feel right. First off, why the hell do you need to use classical music to show insanity? It is not cool. Yeah, did he know he was making a live action movie and not just voicing a cartoon? I don't know. But in the comics, Dr. Kafka is actually a woman. Okay, you know what then? Since it's from the comics, I'll let it go because I was going to say, Dr. Kafka writers, really? Can we hit that nail a little harder? But all right, if they pulled that directly <laughs> from the comics, I shall let it pass. Yeah, they pulled it, but they changed the gender. I would say maybe they didn't want to make a woman look that evil, but given what they do to women in this movie, I don't think there was a whole lot of thought put into that. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking about. I'm conflicted. Am I happy that they didn't give a woman this role and God knows how they would have taken her and made her a sultry, sexy siren kind of thing? Or am I pissed off that they didn't give it to a woman? No, you know who they'd have gotten or should have gotten was uh, Mindy Sterling from Austin Powers, who played Frau Farbissina. Okay. <laughs> She's an amazing Nazi. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So obviously we're not going to talk about casting for... Peter and Gwen and May, as we have discussed that already. And if you haven't listened to our episode on The Amazing Spider-Man, numero uno, go ahead and do that before you listen to any more to this one. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you're listening to our show, you like talking movies. In which case, you should check out two gentlemen who also like talking movies and lots of other topics over at the Home Video Hustle podcast. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm -hmm. Music. music. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. <laughs> so if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers, yes, the Google Play, yes, Apple Podcasts, what else? Podbean, what else? Podcast Addict, goddamn, all that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere, worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah, we gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want us here to say. Ah. Yeah, all that good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> f you. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't, don't run the listeners away, Pete. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace. All right. So let's talk in more depth about these, I hesitate to call them characters. Max Dillon or Electro, 
there's no other way to say it. He is just not needed in any way in this movie. He does not need to be in it. They gave him more screen time than they gave Goblin. And it makes no sense. I mean, if you wanted to keep him as the main villain, then keep him as the main villain. You don't need to have a secondary fight with another villain. Yeah. You know, Fox's performance, it reminds me a lot of the many, many problems with Batman Forever from 1995. Fox's performance here reminds me a lot of Jim Carrey's Riddler performance. Not a compliment, Mr. Fox. It is more restrained, but there's a similar vibe there because Edward Nygma was also kind of nuts. Kind of. That's fair. So Max's apartment also looks a lot like Nygma's psycho office. Mm -hmm. The difference is, as we said, Jamie Foxx can't do crazy. Yeah, and the switch from I love Spider-Man to I hate Spider-Man, if you're that obsessed with someone, you don't switch that fast. Yeah, it takes time. Yeah. And Mr. Dillon also hits on a major pet peeve of mine, which is um, adults who are obsessed with their birthdays. (laughs) Grow up, people. Grow up. Birthdays are largely for children. I'm not saying people shouldn't enjoy them, but I can't deal with those adults. And you know who I'm talking about, guys, who are so obsessed with their birthdays and think the whole damn week should revolve around them. That's what we're dealing with here. Uh Uh-huh. Well, it's his day. He was celebrating his birthday, not the week. (laughs) And he kind of has a point. Like, it is his birthday. The entire company is leaving, which for for fuck's sake, how the fuck can that be possible? And he's the one who's the only one left behind? That's bullshit. Even I'd be pissed. (laughs) Well, see, you hit on a point there. Because I feel like the movie wants us to have sympathy for Max, but I can never get there because the script doesn't support it. Fox is terrible. And we also have Max saying he's got so much anger. And that's what it comes down to. I find him more ineffectual, you know, like he's not deserving of sympathy because it doesn't seem like he tries to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. He wants to be the victim. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you felt about this, but this was the other big problem I had with Fox's casting and combined with the script is once he starts talking about how angry he is and how bubbling it is, mm, this gave me the whole angry black man vibe. Yeah, completely. And at the end of it all, even though we spent the most time with him seeing how he becomes Electro, he ends up basically being a pawn for the rich white dude. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't even considered that. You know what this storyline kind of reminds me of? Of how Max Dillon is invisible and then he becomes a villain once he has some power? It's very similar to Wonder Woman 84. With Why do you do Cheetah. this to me? <laughs> Why do you keep taking me back? <laughs> you can't deny the, the, the similarities. I have to think for a second. 
oh, you're talking about Cheetah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she also weird gets weirdly obsessed with Diana. Correct. And they're both invisible at their respective jobs. And then when they get power, it gets to the head and then they go crazy. And they're both portrayed just as poorly. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least one of them didn't look like a fish. Is a cheetah really better than a fish? Well, one would eat the other. Maybe? I don't know. I will check with my cat after this recording and ask her if she would ever eat an eel. <laughs> Odds are yes. Yeah. Because yeah. she is obese. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> And then we're coming back to Eternals about the predators and, you know, cats eat fish and the circle of life and violence and yada yada. That's enough. That's enough out of you. <laughs> We're not bringing any more into this shit movie. Yep, true. All right. So then we have Rhino. Can we just wrap this up with a yada yada? shouldn't be in this movie, and you don't introduce a third villain with four minutes of actual movie to go? Yeah, I agree. All right, moving on. Bye-bye, Mr. Giovanni. <laughs> it was not good to see you, sir. Nope. He was actually kind of funny in a bad way at the end of the movie. Yeah, he shouldn't have been. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> All right, so I've got a lot to say about Harry Osborn here. I was very frustrated with this character, very disappointed, because there was so, so much potential here. He should have been the only villain in this movie. I mean, I don't know. I'm conflicted because we already have the Harry Osborn Green Goblin thing from the Raimi trilogies. It's just rehashing the same stuff. It's not, though. This is very different from what the Harry Osborn in the Raimi trilogy went through. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different dynamic. And we also have Harry Osborn being played by a much better actor. Right. I guess it's just like you're rehashing the same characters. Yes, but this is actually a time when you want to do that because the character was done so poorly before. That's why like Hollywood's best remakes are remakes of movies that weren't very good to begin with. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So this Harry Osborn was shipped off to boarding school by his father. He's now 20 years old and comes back because his father, Norman, has finally died. And my God, talk about waste. Chris Cooper, where'd you come from? What are you doing here? <laughs> Here's again another situation where I think there was more, but they cut it out. And this is exactly the stuff they should have left in. Mm-hmm. Because Harry could be a character here with tremendous depth. Right. So this retroviral hyperplasia, this is a real thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's horrific. I wouldn't wish this upon my worst enemy. So if Electro hadn't been in this movie and sucking up all the screen time, they could have given Harry a real story around all of this, made him an incredible villain. Because, man, this is some serious parental betrayal on so many levels yeah i mean that that in itself can bring so much oh yeah first we don't know what happened to harry's mother like in the raimi trilogy we assume she's dead so he lost her mother's are not important post-birth 
Oh, yep, yep, I'm going to get to that. And then he is basically abandoned by his father to boarding school, barely hears from him again. And now he finds out that he has a fatal genetic disease that is going to destroy him slowly over decades. And his father knew this the entire time. And not only did he not say a word, but he almost seems gleeful. Yes, to tell Harry about it. He's so bitter that he looks forward to somebody else, even his own son, going through this. Yeah. Like, that is horrendous. And because of this, I found Harry so incredibly sympathetic, just personally I understand where he's coming from to a much lesser degree. One of the things that I've had to, you know, cope with in the last couple of years, and it's something I've talked about with therapists, is knowing that if my mother had stopped being so damn selfish and toxic at some point in her life and actually taken steps to take care of herself, that a lot of my health issues, which some of which are genetic, could have been discovered a lot sooner. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's nothing in, in comparison to what Harry's dealing with here. So it's, it's just a hundredfold. True. Yeah. I mean, this is up there on the level of Loki finding out he's a frost giant and all that Odin and Frigga did. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think this could even be bigger than that you know, on the human level. So it's just so disappointing that they only scratched the surface of this with Harry. And I think Dahan could have done it. Yeah, I think he could have because he certainly has the depth to go there if he's allowed to. But even after his father's death and when he is struggling with his mortality and all of that, they were rushing the progression of his disease. Absolutely. And because of that, we don't spend enough time with him to really care about him the way we should, the way the movie wants us to. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might get a twinge of sympathy for him, but it gets overshadowed with all the other nonsense that's happening. Yeah. And part of that is this Oscorp storyline, which I get confused with Harry's role in. He's right at that meeting that Norman definitely would have been declared incompetent or just been voted off the board. The man was dying. He was an invalid. So is this like Harry's snide way of saying he knows they tried this? Harry has no business running this company. It doesn't make any more sense than the first Harry Osborne's big promotion to to head of special projects in Spider-Man 2. Okay, first off, the Oscorp Corporation is likely a public company. Okay, it is not a private limited company where you can transfer your position to somebody else. In a case like this, first off, if Norman Osborne was was not in a position to run the company, somebody else would have been temporary CEO. Mm -hmm. And that's at worst. There wouldn't have been a need to have Harry take over. Harry would have inherited his shares but not control of the company. He may vote for himself, depending on how much he owns of the company, to be the chairman, but he wouldn't by default be the chairman. 
Right. That was my business hat. (laughs) I need to look up a list of synonyms for the word hat because we're wearing a lot of them. And uh, (laughs) we need to keep them all straight. Mm Mm-hmm. No babushkas. (laughs) Kerchiefs. So I don't know if you felt like this, but one of the biggest problems this movie caused me is that I found myself rooting more for Harry than less for Peter. When Harry wants Spider-Man's blood, I'm totally with him. Who could blame him? Yeah, I get that. And it makes perfect sense. And he's not trying to do it in a nefarious way. He's asking him for it. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a bit of a dick move for spider-man to show up and say "Uh uh-uh you're not getting any of this yeah yeah big time and i think dahan also does a solid job with the eventual goblin transformation yeah he does i was actually waiting for a forked tongue for a minute there (laughs) but man that had to happen sooner not with less than a half an hour of movie to go yeah yeah his transformation his Origin was more of an afterthought than Electro. Yeah, which is bonkers. Yeah, so either they should have get, gotten rid of him completely and left it for the third movie, or, you know, vice versa. Yeah. And I also thought Dahan was effectively gross as the Goblin. You know, Willem Dafoe yeah. is amazing in No Way Home, and he was the only one in those Raimi movies who really, aside from J.K. Simmons, who understood the assignment. But I was never crazy about the mask, especially because, like, Defoe's got one of those faces. You want to see it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even when you don't want to see it. Know what I mean? His face is enough. Yes. So I never cared for the mask. I'm really glad we actually got to see Dahan's face here and got this physical transformation. Although I will say, because he is a small guy, he kind of looked like an elf. <laughs> yeah, the hair didn't help either. No, Worst no. wig ever. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking like, dude, are you going to make us some cookies? Yeah. <laughs> Where's Santa? <laughs> Man, if he had at any point been hiding like inside of a tree, that would have been it for me. Yeah, so in the end, because I really, especially after this movie, I really don't like this Peter Parker. It was very difficult for me to see Harry as a villain at all. Like, Mm -hmm. this dude got shit on hard. Yeah, he did. He has this horrible fatal disease, and he's already seen what that will do to people. Like, he's seen what it's done to his father and knows exactly what's in store for himself. And then the cure for it turns him into a literal monster. Yeah, and you can see why he's so desperate. And also, he has no support system. No, nothing. The one friend who he thought he had was a bit of a dick. Yeah, I have nothing but pity and sympathy for Harry Osborn. Yeah, and the one hope that he had got shot down. I mean, the closest friend he had, aside from who he thought was Peter, was his assistant. Yeah, she was confusing to me, too. Yeah, she was for me, too. I'm like, wait, did she set him up? Did she not? 
And how do I feel about him promoting the only woman in the room when he's kind of a little bit creepy about it? I I was, (laughs) yeah, I didn't really know how to feel about that character who's not really a character. He, Felicia, there we go. Yeah, Felicia. He didn't technically promote her. He basically told them that everything goes through her, which would have been the case anyway, since she is, she was his father's secretary. Well, I guess the reason I saw it as a promotion is because everybody around her, they're all lawyers and big time executives, and she is much lower on the totem pole as an administrative assistant. And he basically Mm -hmm. said to all of them, you work for her now because she works for me. So he put her in charge of them. Poor phrasing, I'd say, but it's basically the same thing that she was doing anyways. All right. So speaking of uh, female characters, we're just befuddled about. Oh, Aunt May. (laughs) Poor, poor, stupid, stupid Aunt May. So we finally find out that she was waitress. Yes. And she literally has nothing else to do besides work at her waitress job. Right. So she decided to study to be a nurse. And Peter is so self-involved that he doesn't realize anything's up. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about this. Okay. And when we say this, people, when we call May stupid, we say she has nothing else to do besides work as a waitress. That's not us projecting or editorializing. She literally calls herself stupid and says that about her job. Mm-hmm. She says she doesn't know how to make ends meet. She doesn't, quote, know how to do this without Ben. God, to do this to Sally Field is criminal. Yeah. So here's my whole problem uh, with nursing school. Okay. So she's been in nursing school. She's ready to start her training. And she says she's doing this to put Peter through college. All right, let's break this down, people. Number one, women in their 60s, They don't start a new career in nursing. Of all things, nursing. Yes. Number one, there's a lot of age discrimination in the field. Mm -hmm. But that's for a reason. Because it is a highly labor-intensive job where, especially if you're in a hospital like May is, you're on your feet for 12 hours at a stretch in a very high-stress environment. Yeah. This is the absolute worst choice she could have made. Yes. And like I said, her whole reason for doing this is to afford Peter's college tuition. Okay, you know what costs a lot of money? Nursing school. (laughs) So you're going to school to put him through school. Okay. Secondly, this is bullshit. It's bullshit because they've shown us way too much of Peter's parents for us to buy this. Those were wealthy people. Mm -hmm. they would have had a trust fund at the very least set up for their child's education. Mm -hmm. And life insurance. Yeah, true. Both of them dying at the same time. Yeah, and you know who else should have had life insurance? The guy who's died 57 fucking times. (laughs) Yeah, I still say that Ben had life insurance, but Peter used it on all his webbing. That would make sense. Oh my God, that I love you web on the bridge. All I could think about was, Jesus Christ, how much did that cost? That cost more than my car. That, and also, Peter, can you stop being such a lazy fuck and webbing everything in your room? Yeah, yeah, that's what post-its are for, man. 
and strings yeah, and, it, and thumbtacks. And not use it to close the door and open the door and shit like that. Yeah, all of these decisions around May and Peter's life, it just, especially because she keeps telling us how stupid she is, it just makes her look all the more inept, like she's this silly widow who can't handle anything or do anything right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the movie at the same time is trying to tell us that she's a great mom. Oh, a great mom who still can't put it together with Peter, even after he turned all the laundry red and blue. Okay, look, I have to believe she knows <sighs> that she's waiting for him to say it. I cannot accept anything else. It it will not fit in my worldview. So you said earlier that uh, mothers don't exist. They have no importance after the moment of birth. Well, that's certainly true for Mary Parker, isn't it? Yep. She this, doesn't say a word except for Roosevelt. It's not even that. She's never mentioned. Peter acts like she didn't exist. Everything is always right. about his father. At graduation, yeah. he says folks once, but that is the mm -hmm. only thing close we get to a mention of his mother. Right. Yeah. And it's all about why did my father leave me and what, what did he do? And what about her? Clearly she had brains too. She did something. Yeah. And guess what, kiddo? Your father was working every day from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. So who do you think was wiping your ass? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe a nanny, but you know, you get what I'm saying. That would have been a woman too. <laughs> yeah. And the nanny would have probably been in touch. One would think. Yep. All right. So uh, back to Peter here a little bit. So, God, I can't even keep track of all the different kinds of flip-flopping that happen in this movie. Yeah, that is stupid. It is utter nonsense. You break up with her when her father dies, and then you flip-flop for the time in between the two movies. And then on graduation day at a celebratory dinner, you're going to break up with her? That's bullshit. Yeah, he couldn't be more of a dick if he tried. Yeah. And then we've got her flip-flopping too. But what also frustrates me is that there is a piece in here related to the flip-flopping that I like. Which is? Is that we actually see a man, even though I really don't like this man, we see a man who is willing and planning to uproot his life for a woman to support her on her path rather than the other way around. Yeah. That gets negated 10 minutes later, but I had 10 minutes of a little bit of joy. Uh-huh. Yes, I agree. That, I appreciated. That was probably the red flag, because we know Spider-Man cannot leave New York. Well, this Spider-Man could go to London. I did find that funny. <laughs> the whole concept. <laughs> that was good. Mm-hmm. You should have known. Wouldn't have happened. Well, current Spider-Man could also go to London. Yes. <laughs> And they can take Daredevil with them. Uh-huh. Sure. So I really want to focus more on Gwen here. And to be honest, that's not just because we're women. It's not just because, you know, we're coming from this with more of a personal perspective. It's also because there's really just not a whole lot to say about Peter Parker in this movie. Yeah, there isn't. He's a douche. 
Yeah. There's not much to them. So I'm happy on one hand that we can talk so much more about Gwen, but I'm really pissed about the things that we are forced to discuss. Yeah. But okay, before we move on to Gwen, I have to say something about Peter and that brown leather briefcase. Okay. I live in a city and I see a lot of men carrying briefcases, right? It's a normal thing. Sometimes if it's a particularly nicely made one, I'll even admire it. But the last two days have made me despise brown leather briefcases. (laughs) I feel like I'm one of those vegan nutjobs who throws paint on leather. (laughs) For the record, Amy is not saying that you're a nutjob if you're vegan, only if you run around throwing paint at people. Yes. Yeah, that's how I feel about uh, Cliff Robertson's face in general. So I feel you. (laughs) So when it comes to Gwen, God, this is one of the most tone deaf movies I've ever encountered. She was a great character in the first movie. Loved Mm -hmm. her. And she has shades of power in this movie, but a lot of that gets stripped away or she has power that isn't earned. Right. So I'm thrilled that she remains valedictorian. Peter did not overtake her. They left her with that Mm -hmm. bit of dignity. (laughs) But there's no way Gwen should be able to cut through that web cable and get into the situation she ends up in. How did she even get the knife in the first place? I have no idea. She was on the way to the airport. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, she's not pulling a Swiss army knife out of a boot. No. Now, she is a full partner again in helping Peter take down Electro. But come on, how how has this 18-year-old kid seen the grid specs and know how to shut down the power and do all of this? Yeah, exactly. She was in biology. Yeah. And you're telling me that the entire city's grid goes down and nobody else is trying to come and push one button? Yeah, as if they're the only ones who know about it. I mean, Con Ed is pretty shitty in New York, but it's not this shitty. (laughs) By the way, it's nice of the dead guy to be holding the key up for her. Right? So we've already mentioned the flip-flopping. It's a mess. It makes both Peter and Gwen look bad it does yes and here's the other problem i have with it is and this is where garfield and stone become a problem because he's like 32 by this point they're still seniors in high school like they just graduated in this movie she's like 27 so i see adults but then i remember that we're talking about teenagers here so I can't help but feel like they are too young for all of this. They've only just turned 18, but they're acting like they are in this forever for the long haul. And, you know, I've done my, I've done my best not to make comparisons to Tom Holland's trilogy, but I feel like I have to here in these movies, his relationships are so much more teen in nature and his relationship with MJ is as it should be 
for that age. And here in Amazing Spider-Man 2, it's all done too, way too serious for me. Like the movie is taking their relationship too seriously. Yeah, I think at one point they forgot that they're supposed to be teenagers. Yeah, well, who wouldn't? Looking at the two of them. Yeah, true. But that being said, there are a lot of teenagers who have their first relationship and think this is it. This is their love of their life till they have more life experiences. That's true. But these two act way too much like adults in general. Yeah, like, yeah, like I said, they forgot that they're supposed to be teenagers. Yeah. All right. So now we've come to the really big issue that makes me a little nuts in this movie. And that's stalking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what Peter's doing to Gwen. Yeah. And that's not okay. No. He admits it's not to make sure she's safe. He tells her flat out it's the closest he can get to being with her. Right. And what infuriates me is that the movie makes this out to be sweet and romantic. And you know what? Let's not forget, he's also still got pictures of her all over his room. Yeah, that's the problem. Again, with media as a whole, something like this was considered and was couched in terms of being sweet and romantic. But media influences a lot of people. So it, this is like the nice guy thing. Exactly. Of, oh, I'm being careful. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take care of you. But you're not. You're being obsessive. You're not giving her agency. Right. Because here's the thing. All right. The movie says, well, he's doing this because he loves her. And, you know, he knows she really does love him, too. Well, guess what? Especially, and this is something I really want our male listeners to get. Because we know, those of you who listen to our show, you're the good guys. And a lot of times, the good guys don't realize just how awful the bad guys are. And I've had a number of conversations with my husband about this. Every stalker out there thinks that he loves the object of his obsession too. And thinks mm -hmm. that she also loves him. She either just doesn't know it yet or needs to be convinced, or she's just playing coy, just living her life to stir him up, whatever. It's all about him. Right. And here's what makes the movie so incredibly toned up. We have Max Dillon stalking and being obsessive about Peter Parker, but he's made out to be the creepy psycho because his victim is a man. Here's the thing. Max Dillon is not obsessed with Peter Parker. He's obsessed with Spider-Man. And he's nowhere close to even stalking him. In a way, that's true. It's, in his, it's more in his mind. Correct. And yet it comes across far more creepier than what Peter is doing with Gwen. Yeah. And so we have Max, who becomes obsessed with Spider-Man, through no fault of Peter's. Peter didn't do anything wrong. He was trying to help. He was diffusing the situations. Not his fault. This is how it works for women. Guys, a lot of times, stalkers are 
men, women know, like an ex of some sort, either serious or not so serious, that's bad enough, okay? But sometimes the stalker is a total stranger and the victim is guilty of nothing more than smiling or making eye contact at the stalker. And the nut job interprets that glance in his own delusional way. So if you ever wonder why women aren't friggin' smiling all the time or don't smile at you in a line or something like that, that's why. Because that's the kind mm-hmm. of shit that we have to worry about. Yeah, true. And I can personally attest to this. Okay, back when I was 22, I was pretty fresh out of college. I landed a job at this awful uh, healthcare quote-unquote school. Place was, I don't know if I'd call it a total scam, but it was very shady. They were doing some really nasty practices, and I only lasted there three months before I quit. But there was this kid that came in one day to my office. I was an admissions counselor. It was my job to, you know, talk them into one of the healthcare programs that the school offered. He was 19. And, you know, I was 22. I wasn't that much older than him. It's my first, you know, real kind of job. And in hindsight, he was creepy. He barely spoke. He barely blinked. He just stared at me. But at the time, like, I'm new at this. I don't really know what I'm doing. So I went with it. He signed up for a program, whatever. Never gave it a second thought. A few weeks later, this kid, whose name I still remember 12 years later and won't ever forget, he comes back and brings a friend with him this time. And the friend didn't really seem terribly interested in anything that the school was offering. And again, the original kid, he just sat there and he just stared. Over the next um, six months or so, this kid stalked me online. I don't know if it ever escalated to anything like physical out in the world. I don't think so. But he stalked me online and it ended with him finding an item that I had for sale on some website. And he tried to lure me out to some CD location to meet him. And in the end, I had to file a police report. And let me tell you how humiliating that was, because the two cops who showed up were both too stupid and too misogynistic to give any fucks about what was happening. And then I had to call the school I had quit from and track down this kid's home phone number because he still lived with his parents and call his mother and tell him, your son's a fucking psycho. This stops or the cops are coming to your house and I'm going to make his life hell. Yeah. And this one would say you got off easy. Yes, I agree with you completely because so many women live in fear because of shit like this. Stalking laws in the United States, all over the world, are a joke. Yep. Somebody has to try and kill you and possibly succeed for the cops to give a shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was just truly incensed watching this. And like, it's not like anybody can say, oh, it was a different time. This movie was made eight years ago. Yeah, exactly. And this is the kind of stuff that everybody assumes is romantic. But in reality, it's a very different story. It's never romantic. All right. So while my blood pressure recedes here, I'm sure yours (laughs) is about to uh, bubble over. I've kind of let it out 
with the stalking, I don't have so much left uh, for the fridging of Gwen Stacy, so I'll let you take us on back up. Okay, all right. You can't kill her. I mean, if you didn't want Peter to move to London, why did you create the storyline in the first place that she's getting into Oxford? Right. Simple as that. Yeah. And they were seriously planning to have a third movie. Were they seriously going to go with emo Peter for the entire movie? I don't think so, because he was perfectly fine at the end of this one, wasn't he? Right. So are we, so were we just going to meet MJ after that? I have no idea. What's the point of killing her? She was the best thing in both the movies. And okay, if you want to kill her, you want to give us that shock value of having her hit the ground so terribly and she dies, then make it graphic. Yeah. Make her go splat like a bag of meat because that's what would have happened. She wouldn't have had just a dainty little streak of blood coming out of her nose. Yeah, she's a bag of viscera by that point. Uh-huh. She shouldn't have gone thud. She should have gone... Oh, that was good. You should be working for sound design at Marvel. <laughs> yeah, I think I can do that for Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> and what really kills me is the way they set this all up. If Gwen had just stayed away, because she's the one who calls Peter out with the let's be friends trope when clearly she just wants to get back together. So the movie is showing us, well, it's her fault that this happened. Because if she had just stayed away and lived her own life, she'd be fine. It just drives me nuts because on one hand, she has so much agency and strength and she's her own woman. But here, she gets killed for choosing to be with a man. True. And they're making it very clear that we cannot blame Peter at all. That we should not blame Peter at all. Right. It's all Harry's fault. Yeah. With great power comes no responsibility. (laughs) They kind of flirted with that line in the first movie, but they didn't go outright. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah, it's when Stacy was a shining star that went. I was going to say, if you say flew too close to the sun, I'm going to lose it. My brain is so scrambled with content right now. (laughs) No, she just went. Now you just like making that noise. I do. (laughs) And this is how the Marvelous Madam soundboard was born. (laughs) All right, everybody. So that brings us to the end of The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And that means we are done with the Spider-Verse. Until we do a full episode together on No Way Home, which will be an absolute joy. So I'm not counting that in the slog that uh, these five movies have been. Yeah, I still have to watch the original Raimi trilogy before I actually go see No Way Home. (laughs) But I'm free. I'm free at last. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it in a weird way. The Raimi trilogy? Yep. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> well, good thing I don't need to review it, so I don't need to watch it twice. Bitch! <laughs> See, now that's the maniacal laughter that would have worked with her. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week for Doctor Strange. Yes, everyone, we're getting closer and closer to Multiverse of Madness on May 6th. In the meantime, come chat with us on Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams. And for more content and our blog, check out our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where Infinity Stones are girl's best friend. Which is soccer. Stop it. I'm not disagreeing with you that it's called something <laughs> stupid, but when I say football, I mean American football with the pigskin, not soccer. Why do you get so offended? I'm not offended. It's just annoying because you've been keep saying that. Because that's what I know. But it's, it's not soccer. the same thing. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. I don't give a fuck about soccer. And then you say you're not annoyed. Can you hear your own pitch? Oh, my God. Because you keep pushing the button. <laughs> Look, as your partner, that's my prerogative. It's your favorite pastime. Yes, it is.